Equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 2. So, what turn there? I'm Micah. Uh, I'm on staff uh, at Sanford. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Usually, uh, we don't usually get that kind of reaction from Sanford, so... Thanks, team, for, for showing up tonight, showing out. Um, so we'll be in Acts chapter 2, and um, to get you started, uh, this is me, this is my wife, Brianna, in the back right there, and uh, shout out, uh, and then this is this little guy that you've probably seen uh, running all around projects, uh, yeah, crying in his dad's arms as I try to take him from place to place. He is a 29-pound tornado, um, and we love him dearly. So, this is, yeah, so Bree and Andrew, uh, Bree, if, if Andrew starts uh, freaking out, let me know, just flag me down in the back, but hopefully we're good. He's asleep and good for the night. So, uh, to get us started tonight, uh, Bree and I are brand new parents, Andrew's a year and a half, and we have discovered that uh, there are a thousand good things to buy your kid. Uh, a friend of mine told me before we had him, Andrew, he said, now I just got to tell you that there is a, a whole world of marketing and advertising that you have not stepped into until you become a parent, but once you step into it, it explodes. It, it, it feels like there are a million must-have lists for parents to buy their kids. And so what happens for Bree and I is that we have to take every new baby purchase through a grid, through a filter, and we say, is this really necessary? And is this really worth it? Is this really necessary? And is it really worth it? And so uh, we've been running through this grid this summer. Uh, and we have had to try to sort through, do we buy this $60 summer splash super table for Andrew? It's basically a piece of plastic with a bunch of holes in it. It's not even that much plastic, but this is the way it works. There's all sorts of weird stuff you can buy for your babies. It would cost you a fortune. Bluetooth diapers to tell you if your kids use the bathroom. There's all kinds of stuff, right? It's not a joke. I think it's a real, it's a real thing. So. Fundamentally, these are the same two questions that we have to answer about the church. Every single one of us has to answer these two questions about the church. One, is this really necessary? One, is this really necessary? Two, is this really worth it? Is this really necessary? Is this really worth it? And what I hope that we would do tonight is to dive into Acts chapter 2. And what I hope we see is the glory and the beauty in God's design for the church. What I hope that drives us to do is compelled by the love of Christ, it would drive us to the church. It would drive us to be lifelong laborers in and within and for the context of the local church in our lives. Amen? So that's our plan. So on the screen, I want to give you the five bullet points for the night. If you're a big note taker, Hope this would bless you and help you as you think through the five reasons why we need the local church. So one, to be fed God's 
word. And two, to share in the life of God's family. Three, to experience the care of God's shepherds. Four, to be sustained through God's signs. And then five, to advance God's mission. Okay, so those are the five bullet points. Context in Acts chapter 2 before we jump in. So the book of Acts is a book that's all about um, the early church and what the early church is up to. So Jesus has died and has risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has come. And Peter gets up and preaches to this massive crowd um, in in the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And in verse 41, it says, right before the text that we're about to look at, it says, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So how's that for a a solid sermon, right? Um, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people come to Christ. And after this massive addition to this small band of followers of Christ, we get a picture at the end of Acts chapter 2 of the very beginning of the early church. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. So if you got your Bible, Acts chapter 2, and we will pick up in verse 42, and it will be on the screen for you. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay. Point number one for us, why we need the church to be fed God's word. First thing you notice in Acts chapter 2 is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were those who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who saw the resurrected Jesus. And so uh, at that time, the New Testament hasn't been penned yet. You just have the apostles' testimony. And essentially what the New Testament is, uh, is, is the written apostles' testimony. And so when it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, It's the very, very early church way of saying they were committed, they were devoted to God's revelation of himself. They were devoted to God's word. And so that's the picture. The early church gets together, and the apostles are sharing the message of the gospel. They're sharing and unpacking. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. This is how he fulfilled the Old Testament promise. And this is why it matters. And so the early church devoted themselves to God's word, and so should we. We need to be fed the riches of God's word on a routine basis, on a regular basis. And why do we need that so badly? It's it's not so that we can be a, a theological encyclopedia. It's not so that we can win the Bible trivia game. 
We need to be fed the riches of God's word week in and week out so that we might see Jesus in all of his glory unpacked through his word and be changed by him. And so you think about this in the context of a church, a young mom with three kids who's not getting a whole lot of sleep at night, a 55-year-old mom whose kids are long past walking away from Jesus, an elderly widow who's lost her husband of 40 years, a single person in their late 20s who's wondering, am I ever going to find the person I've been longing to find? The 45-year-old with a cancer diagnosis. What is, of all of those people, what is their greatest need week in and week out? It's not for a great latte in the front room, because there's nothing wrong necessarily with lattes in the front room. It's not for a really, really good worship band, but there's nothing wrong. I prefer really, really good worship bands myself, personally. The bad ones can be pretty tough. Right? Um, it's not even for a really great speaker. The one thing that all of those people have in common is their ultimate need. They need to see the life transforming glory of Jesus. And they need to see that unpacked through his word. They need to see that there is hope in Christ. So, our greatest need is to gaze upon the glory of Christ with clarity to be able to see who he is and what he has done and why it matters for our lives, why there is hope in Jesus. You could say it this way. We become like what we behold. We become like what we behold. What captures your heart shapes you. It changes you. It influences you. And in a world where Everything is vying for our heart's affections. What you and I need so desperately, week in and week out, is is to be able to see why Jesus is worthy of all of our heart, of all of our affection. That we were made to know him and that there is real hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to imagine that I said, uh, there is this steakhouse in Panama City Beach, and you wouldn't believe this, because Panama City Beach doesn't seem like the greatest place in the world for this, but there's a steakhouse in Panama City Beach, and it's the best that you've ever had, I promise you. And I promise you so much that I will prove it to you. I've made a reservation for the 200 people in this room to go to this steakhouse, and we're going to go uh, eat the, the best steak of your entire life. And so we pull up at this steakhouse, and uh, you know it's got the the Longhorn steers sitting, at, you know, coming out the front door or whatever. And you walk in, and there's this like larger than life cow that's stuffed, and it's hang, hanging on the wall. And they got pictures of like fields and grass and stuff, and they got like Luke Bryan playing on the radio, and this is like. Oh, it's got all the things that you're like, oh, this is, this is going to be real good. So I say, get the 16-ounce porterhouse. It's going to be the best you ever had. And when the plate drops, you're like, this is going to be great. It drops, and they, they pull the thing off because, uh, I don't know, the, the 
Sounds right. I don't know if Steakhouse does that. Uh, to cool the thing off, you got a 16 ounce block of white tofu with A1 sauce kind of drizzled across it. I'm like, man, it's the best you ever had. You would say, you don't know what steak is. Like, this is no steakhouse. A, a steakhouse that serves tofu and no steak is no steakhouse. They might have a freaking cow on the wall, but they are not a steakhouse. A church without God's words is a steakhouse with no steak. They got nothing to serve. So, as you look for a church, look for a church that hungers for God's word, that loves God's word, that believes God's word, that looks to God's word, and submits themselves to God's word. Anything else is a steakhouse with no steak. Okay, second, we need the church to share in the life of God's family. Second thing we notice in Acts chapter 2, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then the second thing it says is they were devoted to the fellowship, or just some translations just say fellowship. And the word fellowship here is a really special word. In the Greek, it's the word koinonia. And it's this idea of sharing in stuff. It's a unity in something. It's a unity around something. It's a unity that's, that's uh, uh, it's a bond. It's a, it's, a, it's a big deal word. It's a one anothering uh, word. And so it's actually the same word that John uses in 1 John that says, and if we know Christ, we have fellowship with him. He's saying we have a bond with him. And that bond makes us bonded to other believers. It's a deep, meaningful word. And so Acts chapter 2 gives us this picture of the early church. There's this sharing in life that they have. And it happens in such a way that in verse 43, it, it, it points to this even this physical sacrificing of, of needs. Or, or sacrificing of own material uh, things for others' needs. There's that kind of life sharing going on. So verse 43 says, And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And then verse 44 all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the early church's fellowship had a real family-like sacrifice and service. And so we need this sharing in of God's family in our lives. And I know for some of us, Family is a word that comes with some heavy baggage. Because for better or for worse, family means that you are united around a last name or, or, a, or a bloodline. But in Jesus' kingdom, in Jesus' church, your unity is not around a family name. It's around Jesus' name. It's not around a family bloodline. It's around Jesus' blood. So if that's true, I don't want you to miss just how big of a deal that is. If that is true, then you, you have more in common with a poor Middle Eastern farmer than you have with maybe somebody in your own family who looks identical to you. Or somebody on your sports team. Or somebody on your dorm hall. A few weeks ago, 
my wife and I, we went to um, Knoxville to go on a little family uh, retreat together. And we wanted to see a couple of friends while we were there. And so one of the highlights of that trip for me was visiting a, a friend of mine from back in college who's now a pastor at an inner city church in Knoxville. And it's a small, small church. So there's maybe like 35 people in this church. And to paint the picture for you, um, at the, the worship of the, of the service was, was literally a lady just playing the melody so that people could sing along. So it was literally a lady by herself playing one note so that the 35 people could sing along. And to paint this picture for you, um, I'm sitting there, Bria's sitting beside me, and um, in front of us is a 70-year-old African-American lady named Miss Glenda. And to Miss Glenda's uh, left-hand corner is a 20-year-old Hispanic man that the pastor's been discipling and meeting with. And in front of them was a white family, a party of six, with four, four kids. And the oldest is going through the, the page of the bulletin um, to point out the words to his younger brothers who can't quite read yet. And then on the other side of the aisle, we've got a young African-American guy with a Lamar Jackson jersey on. And uh, behind him is sitting a lawyer. Behind him is a brand new mom holding a brand new baby. And in the back is this woman who's making dinner so that everybody's able to spend time together after church. And my friend gets up and he preaches this rich gospel sermon, deeply ministered to my soul. And then they start the Lord's Supper, which we're, we're going to talk about in just a minute. But the best part to me is the, the 20-year-old Hispanic man, the young guy, he goes up and he kneels down before Miss Glenda, who's in her 70s. He says, Miss Glenda, do you need me to carry, help, help you to get to the front for the Lord's Supper? Or, or would you need me? Could I help you bring it to you? And it was beautiful. And it was this picture of Acts chapter 2. And I was thinking, what is it that these people have in common? What is it that a 20-year-old Hispanic man and a 70-year-old African-American lady and the white family party of six and the lawyer and the former missionary and the mom in the back, what do these people have in common? It's only Christ. It's only the gospel of Christ that brings and unites and bonds these people together. And that's enough. And you and I need this. We need this and we need in on this. And I know my friend's church is a dear, is a dear friend, so I know the troubles of that church. It's not a perfect church by any stretch. It's got its challenges, it's got its difficulties, to be sure. That's expected when we join the local church. We are sinners who join the local church, so we bring with us our sin. So there's guaranteed to be problems, but the fellowship that we have in the church is not a fellowship around our righteousness or our moral goodness or our moral behaviorisms or anything like that. Our unity in the church is just around Jesus's righteousness. It's Jesus's grace. It's Jesus's work on his on our behalf that unifies us. And the Bible says one of the clearest ways that we illustrate the love of Christ is by a love for the church, his people. 
And so, Brooklyn said this earlier, to know Jesus and to love Jesus is to know and love his bride, the church. You love what Jesus loves. So even when the church is hard to love, and I promise us that it will be, we remember that we serve a Savior who loved us not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. And he didn't talk to us via live stream in the chat box. He drew near to us. He came to us. He pursued us in love. In the same way, even in our in the church's hardest moments, this is what drives us to his bride. Third, we need to experience the care of God's shepherds. So in Acts chapter 2, the, the New Testament church is it's a newborn baby. But if you flip over just a couple of, of pages in Acts or even the rest of the New Testament, you will see this pattern emerging. People wander off. So just a couple chapters later in Acts, you've got a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they lie to the church, and they, well, they sin, they, they lie, and they cover up. And in this terrifying demonstration of God's holiness, he strikes them dead. And then you zoom forward a little bit further, you go to Acts chapter 15, there are all these people who come into the church, and they say, if you really are a Christian, then you have to do this. You have to follow these Jewish laws. And if you don't do that, you're not a Christian. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And then the, in Acts chapter 15, the, the apostles of the church, the pastors of the church, they get together and they say, that's not the gospel. We don't believe that. We reject that. Later on, you go to Galatians chapter 2, you discover that Peter, the apostle Peter, had to be publicly confronted by the apostle Paul for wandering into sin. Why do I share all that? Those stories jump off the page at us to remind us that we are all vulnerable to walking away or wandering away from Jesus. One of the metaphors that the Bible uses over and over and over again for God's people is sheep. And sheep are vulnerable animals. So a great deal of that metaphor is designed to communicate to us that we need Care and protection. We need God's care and protection. And one of the main ways that God provides that care and protection is through the people appointed to be as his leaders in the church. And so the task of a pastor is to shepherd and care for God's flock. They care for their souls. They help them identify dangers. And through their preaching and teaching and one-on-ones and counseling, their responsibility is to help the sheep walk towards the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, Jesus. And so we need the church because we are in a high-stakes war. And to fight alone is really foolish. We need the, the support and care and counsel of, of faithful pastor shepherds in the church in order for us to finish the race. And unfortunately, all of us know stories of pastors who have wandered off. And so we got to be really clear at this point that even the best shepherds are under shepherds. We follow them only to the degree that they align in life and doctrine with Jesus himself. And so this is why we, got, we can't be casual about who is a leader in the church. we got to be really careful. Paul tells us to be really deeply examining the life and doctrine and conduct 
of people in that kind of role. But at the end of the day, they're sheep as well. But that makes this point even more serious for us. We are all prone to wander into dangerous territory. And so part of what we say when we join a church is we are saying, I need you in my life to such a degree that if you see me wandering off, I need you to come after me. I'm signing up for that kind of level of life involvement. It's a, a full contact commitment. I need you to come and grab me and pull me back. When I was a freshman in college, I was at Penn State, and I had the, the wise decision to join a, a hockey team. As a freshman in college at Penn State, I never played hockey before, but I decided I'd join a, a hockey team. And uh, we played in an adult, adult men's league in, in, uh, at Penn State. And so um, I'm a 17-year-old kid playing with you know, full-grown men. And um, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was intense. So I wasn't much of a hockey player. I didn't play hockey. I was left-handed, so I had one unique thing that I could do. I could stand in front of the net, and if somebody passed me the puck, I could shoot the puck. And I had pretty decent odds, because I'm left-handed, it was a little bit different. So that was my one thing, that's all I did, uh, and so I did it faithfully. I stood in front of the net, waited for somebody to pass me the puck, I'm ready to shoot this thing, okay? Um, and most of the people in this room are probably like, what is hockey? I don't even know what this sport is, you know? It's like, nobody in the South cares. Um, but there's one day where I get past the puck from a, a teammate, and I go to shoot this puck, and right before this puck makes it to my stick, and I'm, I'm prepped to send it. I feel in my back a stick drive right through my entire body. And it feels like my feet go up while my body torso goes down. You know, it's this bizarre sort of like, basically I got hit by a Mack truck. And so I am so furious. I've clenched my fists. I have stood up, I have gripped my teeth. And I turn around to see a human being that looks like uh, if Olin Stubbs decided to do roids. Like, this is who, like, this is who I am nose-to-nose -nose with, and I don't care that he looks like Olin Stubbs on roids, because I am so mad that I, I'm ready to swing at this full-grown man who, in every way, would have absolutely mopped the floor with me, okay? And in that moment, two guys and our team captain come and scoop me up by the arms and pull me back before I did something really, really, really dumb. That's what we're signing up for in the church. We're saying, I need people in my life that love me enough to hunt me down and step in between me and my own foolishness to bring me back to Jesus, kicking and screaming if necessary. But I need people in my life that keep me from wandering off at that kind of level, full contact commitment that said, I will pursue you and hunt you down. We need this kind of love from each other in the church, but particularly from the team captains that the Lord has appointed to be the pastor shepherds in his church. And as they do so, they do so in the shadow of Jesus himself, who loved us and came to us and chased us down and died for us to bring us back into right relationship with God. Okay, number four. We need to be sustained through God's signs. This was a little bit technical, maybe. But in, in Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this is almost certainly a reference to the Lord's Supper. So they were devoted to the ministry of the Word, sharing life together in the Lord's Supper. But why is that? Well, Jesus gave his church two special signs. A lot of churches call them sacraments. Of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they are visible sermons for us. And they remind us of the gospel. They are sort of like family signs. They distinguish you as a member of Christ's family. So one, baptism, it's, it signifies that we belong to Jesus. That we can be washed clean of our sins if we are united to him by faith. Ideally, it's done one time upon belonging to the church. And then the second one, the Lord's Supper, is what Jesus established with his disciples right before he went to the cross. It's the sign of the new covenant that points to the body and blood of Christ broken for us. So while baptism signifies you're brought into the church, the Lord's Supper points you to the present. It says it's done regularly. It's done in an ongoing way. Not to point us to something in the past, but to point us in the present. The Lord's Supper is the family meal for God's people. In a very real sense, it's sharing in Christ together at God's table. And so this is likely what Acts chapter 2 is talking about. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there's this personal yet public and church-wide reminder in the Lord's Supper that you belong to Jesus. His shed blood counts for you. So here's where I want to get really practical about this. How does the Lord's Supper matter for your life and for my life? When you've had a really awful week, and it feels like you are weighed down with all sorts of guilt and shame and sin, what you are reminded of in a visible, tangible, physical way in the Lord's Supper is that Jesus' body and blood was shed for you. And that promise that if you trust in Jesus, if you're united to him, then there is no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus' blood counts for you. You are welcomed at his table. It's a reminder that you don't live as an orphan anymore. You are an adopted child with a seat at his table with your name on it. So there's a very real sense in which we are sustained by these signs, particularly the Lord's Supper. So we need these in our life. Five. Lastly, we need the church in order to advance God's mission. So Jesus left his church with a a commission, a task. He said, make disciples. And I want you to notice at the end of Acts chapter 2 what happens. So it says in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. In the very end, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So notice this. They, they worship together. They do life together. They engage the world together. And as they do, the Lord adds to their number day by day those being saved. So in Acts chapter 2, it's this little picture of the church on mission. You see, the church is like an embassy for the kingdom of God. We are citizens of another country. 
This one is not our home. The church is like an embassy that stands as an outpost, as a representative of that country. And so the church serves as Jesus's heavenly kingdom embassy planted in the middle of an earthly war zone. And you and I are his ambassadors that go out to uh, the world and we say, come and see, come live under the, the merciful and gracious and loving rule and reign of King Jesus. Come to his table, come to this embassy. So our message to the world is not go to church or the devil will get you. Okay? That you see every time you come to Beach Project down I-65. Our message to the world is not that. Our message to the world is you can get in on this too. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. And so I don't want us to miss this. We are the gospel ambassadors. We are the gospel advancers in the church. It's not a program. It's the people. So we're part of this mission. You have a role to play if you are a follower of Christ. I think on the screen I've got a picture of one of my dearest friends in the world, a friend named Carlos. So that's us at my wedding 20 pounds ago. And um, that was supposed to be a joke, but it's okay. Um, so about 30 years ago, there's a guy and a girl who's sitting in the same seats you're sitting in. A guy named Todd and a girl named Karen. They met a beach project, got married, and they plugged into their local church. Faithful men and women in their church, trying to figure out how to serve the church as they can in different ways. So they plug into serving the college ministry. And so they buy meals on a regular basis for the entire college ministry at the church. So that means a lot of catering orders. So they went to Tzatziki's a lot and ordered a lot of catering orders. And Carlos was the manager of the Tzatziki's that they would go to over and over and over again. And they just built a friendship with Carlos. They got nothing in common with Carlos, but they built a friendship with Carlos. And they begin to, over the course of time, say, you know, Carlos, like we're doing this. Come, come do this with us. And so their family kind of folds him a little bit into their family. They say, come over for dinner. Uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? You know, these kinds of things. They begin to share the gospel with Carlos. And, and somehow, I don't know how they did this, uh, Carlos, Carlos is sort of intrigued by their life. It's like there's something different about these, these people. And, 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 but he's got a full-time job. Somehow, they, they, as they're sharing the gospel with him, they talk about Beach Project. They say, we would love for you to go to that. So they figure out a way to get him down to Beach Project. He takes a hiatus from his job, comes down to Beach Project. And about 10 years ago, Carlos, on a beach project, gives his life to Christ. And Carlos is maybe one of the most effective evangelists I know. He will play basketball with folks and just fold people into his life. He connects people to different Christians he knows. He's like, man, you don't know Christ? I need you to meet this guy over here. Come, come meet Micah, you know, and come meet so-and-so. And he's connecting people all the time. I said, Carlos, how do you do this? Like, well, how are you so good at this? He said, man, I'm only doing what I've seen modeled for me. That's it. This is the body of Christ on mission. This is part of what being a kingdom embassy looks like. The people of God captivated and compelled by the love of Christ sent out into the world as his ambassadors. God advances their number and the mission keeps going forward. So I encourage you to jump in on this. 
to not say, I'll wait until after college to jump in on that. Don't miss out on that now. Look for a faithful church in your area. Look for a real steakhouse, not a tofu restaurant disguised as one. Look for a real one, okay? And then commit, jump in. Last thing, and we're, and we're done. We started the night by thinking about my, my year-and-a-half-year-old's Fisher-Price $60 Summer Splash water table. Piece of plastic with a bunch of holes in it. And there, I'm asking the question, do I really need this? And is this really necessary? And you know what always tips the scales for me? It's Andrew who tips the scales for me. The joy that it brings Andrew is the thing that tips the scales for me. Because he's worth it. It's not a toy. It's, it's the joy that it brings Andrew that, that tips the scales for me. And the ultimate reason that you and I love the church is the joy that it brings to Jesus. Ultimately, we love the church because Jesus is worth it. We love him, so we love what he loves. We want to please our king, the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. He is worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these truths. We pray that you would make us men and women who love your church for your sake, for the joy that it brings you, and for our good. So Lord, make us men and women who love and serve your church as lifelong laborers so that you might get great glory both in your church and in the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.